0: I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. The Power of the Dog, which came out in 2021 and was directed by Jane Campion. Open up the gate, let him out. Are you sure he's not ready? Go on, let him out. made by patients and the odds against him for what kind of man would i be if i did not help my mother Peter! if i did not save her the power of the dog which came out in 2021 and was directed by jane campion it stars benedict cumberbatch jesse Plemons, kirsten dunst cody smith mcphee Thomas and Mackenzie, Francis Conroy, and Keith Carradine. The genre would be period Western domestic drama. Now, there are slow burn movies, and then there are slow burn movies. For the bulk of this film's deliberately paced 126 minutes, I was often feeling like The Power of the Dog fell into the latter category. This is an intense drama with most of the drama bubbling under the surface. And I'm not referring to the same kind of British polite period drama often about repressed emotions that we would see in your standard Merchant Ivory productions, films from the past along the lines of Howard's End or The Remains of the Day. No, this is something different. This movie takes place in 1920s Montana on a remote cattle ranch run by two brothers, very much a time and place bridging the gaps between the Old Wild West and the Industrial Revolution. There were cars and electricity, but you could also easily isolate yourself to stay beholden to older methods of living off the land— by, say, only using rope which was hand-braided from the hides of dead animals. That's a key plot point. As a result, you have a constant battle of wills between the old and the modern, and it's a rapidly changing society. So no, nobody in this setting is repressing their emotions, at least not because they're not allowed to. The emotions are very much out in the open. There's long-time resentment between two brothers, only one of whom is clinging by dear life to cowboy practices that they both learned when they were younger. There's a brewing rivalry between one of those brothers and his brother's newlywed wife. There's tension between that wife's young, continuously bullied son and the cowboy brother who is looking to take him under his wing. Or is he? All of these things are out in the open, but nobody is quite sure how to express them or process them. What you said about her boy tonight, Phil, made her cry. She had her ear to the door. She was crying, Phil. What the hell? said her boy needed to snap out of it and get human. Pointed it out, that's all. She should damn well know. Jane Campion directed this and was nominated for Best Director among the 12 Oscar nominations that this film has recently received. I mainly know of her from directing the early 90s slow burn period masterpiece, The Piano, which she also received an Oscar nod for directing and the decidedly non-masterpiece that she directed a couple of years later, Jefferson in Paris. No doubt that Campion has a deliberate character-focused style, but she also has a great eye for historical vistas, both traits which are on full display here. She also has four top-flight actors leading her cast, all moving cannily as pieces on a chessboard of a twisty little tale of manipulation and revenge that I honestly did not fully grasp until towards the end of the movie. Benedict Cumberbatch plays Phil, the old-school tough cowboy running this ranch, with his more mild-mannered brother, George, played by Jesse Plemons. Phil has always been the alpha male in this environment, often browbeating his quieter brother, who is clearly longing to eventually move on from ranch life. Kirsten Dunst plays Rose, a local waitress and widow who George falls for. Rose and George get married eventually, and as it turns out, Dunst and Plemons, Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons, are actually married in real life. Now, could this be the first time that an actual married couple both received Oscar nominations for playing characters who were actually married to each other? I'm not sure, but it feels pretty significant. You are marvelous, Rose. Stand beside me, George. What's happening? Follow me. Left foot forward. One, two, three, into the side. One,
1: two,
0: three, come back. One, two, three, To the side again? I I really can't. I really can't dance. (laughs) You're dancing. And then there is Australia's own Cody Smith McPhee, who plays Peter, Rose's son from her now deceased first husband. His young, impressionable Peter is attending college but is home for the summer. And Cumberbatch's rough and tumble Phil seems to be initially leading the charge to bully him, as many other cowboys on the ranch are. But eventually they form a bond as Phil shows him the ropes, literally, about life on the ranch. He actually shows him how to make ropes. And I will leave it at that as the story goes in some interesting directions which will either confirm your suspicions or confound you based on how you're watching it. Now this is not meant to imply that Campion, who also adapted the screenplay from the 1967 novel of the same name, this is not to imply that she believes that she is smarter than the audience. Just that she's taking her time with this story and delivering it all within a gorgeously shot, thanks to director of photography, Ari Wagner, classic Western setting. There's a load of sumptuous visual storytelling here. In fact, the title itself is mainly based on the visage of a dog amidst mountains in the distance, pointed out by one character to another. Whether you are actually able to see it, well, that plays into the seeming vagueness of the story. I really dug this movie, especially after rewatching the last 15 minutes a few times over, which helps. One of the benefits, I would believe, of seeing something like this on Netflix, I feel that it's generally deserving of a lot of the awards attention that we have seen it get over the past year. Now, I'm not sure if it's actually the best film of 2021, but to be fair, there's a lot which I still have not seen, and it certainly deserves to be in the conversation. Those four main performances were all deservedly nominated for Oscars. Dunst and Plemons both bring subtle dimensions to their characters. And as for McPhee and Cumberbatch, we'll get to them a bit later. Regardless, all four of them are fantastic. And that brings me to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Radiohead lead guitarist Johnny Greenwood composed the score for this movie. And with him, he has brought back that hard-to-describe unnerving backwater sound, which also marked his first major composing gig 15 years ago for There Will Be Blood. Since then, Greenwood has remained with Radiohead, while also still composing the occasional film score, usually for Paul Thomas Anderson, who also directed There Will Be Blood. This is Greenwood's first collaboration with Campion, and it's quite the effective score, even melodic at times. He did some pretty creative things with cellos, plucking them as you would a banjo with a soundscape of French horns playing throughout the background. The signature theme, which basically serves as background music to accompany Phil throughout the movie, that's Cumberbatch's character, it's called 25 Years, and it is both haunting and gorgeous. Next category would be the trailer moment. This is the or moment that best describes this movie. Throughout the first half of this film, Cumberbatch's Phil has been feeling increasingly threatened by the presence of Rose, played by Kirsten Dunst, in his brother's life. And as a result, we watch him go to some absurd lengths to torment her, even driving her back to drinking as she used to be an alcoholic. He is mostly successful in this endeavor by continuously sabotaging her efforts to practice piano in the lead-up to an upcoming formal dinner party where both Rose and George will have the opportunity to meet each other's parents for the first time, as they are now engaged to be married. The plan was for Rose to provide much of the evening's entertainment, playing the piano, for her new in-laws, which she used to do exclusively. She's very excited for this opportunity, but pretty much every time she starts to practice, there's Phil, nearby, upstairs or just outside, either strumming a banjo or whistling loudly often the same melody that she's trying to practice. Yes, this is extremely dickish behavior on Phil's part, and this all comes to a head during the said dinner party, which occurs about halfway through the movie. Rose is unable to play the piano for their guests, and she's supremely embarrassed, apologizing that she just can't do it. As if that wasn't bad enough, though, Phil doesn't just show up for this dinner party until well after they have finished dinner, and of course he shows up at the worst possible time, just as Rose is sitting at the piano, all broken. Not only has he shown up late, but against the request of his brother, he's not in any way dressed for dinner. He's just wearing his outdoor gear. He's all dirty. He makes a couple of snarky comments regarding the lack of piano playing, and, when you know it, he starts and finishes his appearance at this dinner whistling that very tune that Rose was trying to practice as she looks on in horror. This whole sequence is a genuine flex on his character's part and pretty much sets the remainder of the story into motion. Anyhow, so you don't want conversation, you've been listening to the Panano and dancing, I guess. You dance? You didn't play? Sure did practice a terrible lot. See, you wouldn't think there's much difference between a cinema pit and a dinner party. Where have you been, Phil? I could hardly eat worrying about you. I didn't get washed up, so I didn't come. The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. I cannot think of anyone in front of nor behind the camera of this movie whose talents are wasted. But I have one very tricky concern with this movie overall. Let's just say that there are one or two characters in this story who are seemingly closeted homosexuals. Well, as the story progresses, we eventually witness one character becoming aware of this and eventually exploiting it. And this homosexual character suffers as a result. Now, if I'm being honest, as performed by the cast and written and directed by Campion, everyone involved in the story is portrayed as a flawed, three-dimensional human being. So I'm not implying that the story overall is homophobic. However, here's my issue. And this even goes back to one of the main themes of an excellent 1996 documentary, which I saw recently called The Celluloid Closet. Even as we have seen more and more homosexual characters portrayed in major movies, the ones who are often highlighted the most are usually doomed by the end of the story. Their lives end and or they are thoroughly rejected by the person who they are in love with. Now keep in mind, this was all a thesis of a documentary in 1996. Since then, we have seen no shortage of strong dramas Highlighting members of the LGBT community, Milk, Brokeback Mountain, Carol, Call Me By Your Name, The Imitation Game, Before Night Falls, In America, The Mexican, Bohemian Rhapsody, and The Danish Girl. Now granted, many of these were based on true stories, so you can't change history. But you know what they all have in common? Yep, the LGBT character's story ends with death or solitude. And not to give too much away, but unfortunately, the power of the dog belongs in that club as well. While I certainly don't think it was the intention of Campion, nor anyone else involved with this film, to tell yet another story of a fully fleshed-out LGBT character who has a sad ending, it's still generally films like this, year in, year out, that get the funding and or receive the awards attention. And I personally would like for that to change, plain and simple. As far as I am concerned, cinema is still the most powerful medium we have out there. And even though it's not the only thing that we crave from cinema, we still look to the movies for aspirational images and stories. I think we need more movies which actually portray LGBT relationships with happy endings. That's not too much to ask, is it? The acclaim and awards attention being bestowed on a film like Power of the Dog, it's not the cause of this issue, but sadly, it could help perpetuate it. Just something to think about. And that brings me to the final category, which would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Cody Smith-McPhee's performance really sneaks up on you, as his Peter eventually has more agency in this story than we initially think. Going back about 13 years from his characters in The Road to Let Me In to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I could just never take my eyes off of this young actor. He just has this very unique look about him, very gaunt frame with perpetually wide eyes. It feels like he's been playing kids who are always being bullied and or looking scared for as long as I have known of him. And he's now 25, by the way. He just has this haunted presence about him. Either you're scared for him or of him. I swear, it's a wonder that they didn't cast him as Edward's younger brother in the Twilight movies. Regardless, McPhee has the trickiest role here as he plays those physical traits to his advantage from a performance standpoint. McPhee is just lights out, and of course that leaves Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch is a force. Always a kick to watch. And it pleases me to even admit that he has now proven me wrong, as I have always railed against him for delivering weak, mannered attempts at American accents in movies like Black Mass or Doctor Strange. Well, not here. He looks and sounds like an authentic Western American. Hell, there was even one point in the third act when he seemed to just be channeling a young Jack Nicholson just a bit, and I was completely sold. I wonder... What little lady made these? Actually, I did, sir. My mother was a florist, so I made them to look like the ones in our garden. Oh, well, do pardon me. They're just as real as possible. Mm. Now, gentlemen, look, see, that's what you do with the clock. It's really just for wine drips. Oh, got that, boys. Only for the drip. (laughs) Now get us some food. Cumberbatch's Larger Than Life bluster and McPhee's Eerie Quiet provide perfect compliments for each other. Together, their performances genuinely carry this story over a memorable finish line, and as a result, Benedict Cumberbatch and Cody Smith-McPhee are co-MVPs. My rating for The Power of the Dog would be four and a half stars out of five. Like I said earlier, this movie is a slow burn. It takes a while to get where it needs to go. But it gets there for sure, and if you come into it expecting that, you might quite enjoy it. As it stands now, this film is considered the current frontrunner to win Best Picture later this month. But we'll see how that pans out. And if you're looking to watch The Power of the Dog, it's currently streaming on Netflix. And that ends another Entwined Review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema.